What were you doing in 2011? For most of us, 11 years doesn't seem that long ago. But in that relatively short period of time, a lot has changed. Back then, the global population was 7 billion. But in a little more than a decade, this number has increased by a staggering 1 billion human beings. In parallel with this exponential rise, the cost of home ownership continues to soar as the relative price of housing further outstrips average incomes throughout most of the world. So as the global population passes 8 billion this year and is forecast to exceed 10 billion over the coming decades, what are the solutions to providing housing to an ever-expanding human population while maintaining the quality of life we now come to expect? Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Today we speak with pioneering influencer Paolo Tiramani, CEO of Boxable, an industrial home construction company revolutionizing home ownership and perhaps ensuring a higher quality of life for millions in the future. Hi Paolo, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks so much. To start, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how this journey started. So I grew up in London, Italian guy, originally Italian parents, grew up in London back and forth, settled in at school, you know, and started school. Uh, actually went to Central St. Martins for industrial design and uh, just built and ran an IP licensing business, intellectual property licensing business. Just a fancy way of saying we, uh, we invented things, filed for patents, and then licensed them to industry for a royalty. So very simple business model, did that for a couple of decades. And then uh, about six or seven years ago, I decided uh, that we'd like to be operators in space. I think the grass is always greener. It doesn't matter what your profession is. You know, if you're a lawyer, maybe you see what your clients are doing, you think that's cool, and, and maybe vice versa. And for us, certainly, um, you know, over several decades of seeing the frustrations of licensing product that perhaps wasn't shepherded through the production uh, marketing and sales cycle as efficiently as we thought it could be, our opinion with coming along with no experience whatsoever, by the way, you know, you sort of have some frustration. So we said, okay, if we're inventors, basically, we should be able to invent anything in the same way that if you're an accountant, you don't care what you count, you're just counting, right? So uh, we said, okay, so let's just tackle a big problem. And we're going to be operators. And so we looked around with our skill sets, basically, in terms of innovation and finding product and market categories, and said, let's do some good. We threw that in the mix as well. And we realized that building construction was the last consumer product that isn't. It's not a consumer product. And by that, I mean it's pre-industrial. It's not built in a factory. And it doesn't take advantage of a modern world for very good reasons, because they're big. So we thought, okay, that's uh, 
that's interesting. Let's sink our teeth into that. And so we packed our bags, moved across the country to, to set the company up and start, you know, R&D in, in earnest. Yeah. So you mentioned that housing hasn't been considered as a mass consumer product before. Can you unpack that idea for us? So my background is consumer goods, doing things by the millions. Uh, it's all, you know, mass production, right? So when we looked at building construction, we realized, what do I mean by not a consumer product, not a consumer category? What do I mean by pre-industrial? Well, building construction is um, all built out in the open in a field. Uh, and if you look around, you know, modern world, you look at, you know, the shirt you're wearing, the headphones you've got on, they're all built in a factory uh, and they're very efficiently built in a factory. But building construction isn't that way currently. And it's all, you know, there is no brand. Name a brand other than Boxable that you know. You may or may not be able to, and you probably won't be able to. D.R. Horton, who's an investor in our company, is the largest American home builder and probably the largest home builder in the world. Have you heard of them? Probably not. You've probably heard of, of Boxable. There's no, um, there's no standardization in terms of quality and price accountability, uh, warranty, there's nothing. It's just a bunch of guys in a field, stick building with bits of wood and air guns, uh, nail guns, excuse me, putting up product one at a time with high lead times, high, high costs and very variable quality and a lack of accountability. So there it is, you know, one of the biggest consumer marketplaces on earth that is not, has not been brought into a modern, a modern world. It was pretty staggering to us. And partly for that reason, a global crisis in terms of affordable housing, which for us just means, you know, the right price housing. You know, when you say affordable, you think of low cost and we're certainly, or low quality rather, and we're certainly not that. Okay. So how would you describe the company Boxable to, you know, a complete novice or, or an alien from outer space? Boxable is a building construction technology that can make most things most of the time. And it can provide repeatability in the factory with these three sizes of building shells. The best way to think about it is uh, to think of them as uh, sort of Lego bricks, you know, the little square one, the oblong one, and the one in the middle that nobody uses. You know, those three, and you can connect stack cantilever if you think back to your childhood Lego days to make most things most of the time. The factory gets to make very high speed production repeatability, and the customer. Uh, gets to make custom custom structures. We're threading the needle for an optimized result. One of the key aha moments for us is that, you know, buildings are big. You know, how do you ship something that's that big? And if you look around at the current marketplace, they don't, right? They bring field materials, antiquated materials and processes under a roof. These are the modular guys who ship, you know, manufactured housing. And then they build a traditional product, which is not appropriate for a factory where you have you know, large equipment to move things around, they build something in a traditional way, not taking advantage really of any of the advantages that you get when you're under a roof. And then they build something that's 14 or 15 foot wide, which is not wide enough uh, for the architect, but yeah, it's illegally wide to ship. So then they have all sorts of problems with permits and flag cars and crossing state lines here in the US. And then, uh, you know, they can't ship more than a couple of hundred miles. So Boxable unpacks to really a shocking 20 foot wide, which the architects love, 
40 foot clear span on the longest unit, cut windows and doors anywhere you want, really large ones without a header, you know, a header for your audience is a big strong beam across the top to stop the, the structure from collapsing. We don't need headers because we're so strong. And then, yeah, it packs down to eight and a half foot wide. And eight and a half foot wide means we can ship all around the world without flag cars or special permits. And those are some of the first principles for, you know, a global solution. So I get the benefit of, you know, production, then shipping. What's the benefit to a consumer? High quality, low cost, immediate delivery. Those are the three, the three legs of our stool. So this really does sound completely game-changing. Maybe you can go into a little bit more detail on this. How can this system be better quality than something bespoke like traditional house builds? All right, so quality. Uh, quality comes down to repeatability, and you can't have repeatability in the field because they're making them one at a time. Quality comes down to repeatability, right? So Boxable is a building construction system that makes three building shell sizes. So the building shells are big boxes. Um, those boxes can be further subdivided. Uh, we're making those by the hundreds, and we'll be making them by the thousands and eventually the millions. Uh, obviously, we're gonna get very, very good at that, and we're gonna have a lot of automated equipment. Uh, low quality in a factory costs money. It's the inverse of what you have in the field. You know, you can't fix things. Where something is not put in the, right, in the wrong place, uh, it's, it stalls the line. Uh, another part of quality is a sufficient amount of product development to arrive at the best product. You know, somebody showed up at your house, you ordered a car, and they showed up with some bits of tin and some wheels, and they started banging together a car. I don't think you'd have uh, a very high confidence level at the end result, or possibly you wouldn't want to drive it. So uh, that automotive analogy carries on to our factory. You see behind me is that we have an automotive style production line. So massive repeatability, number one, and number two, we've applied millions and millions of dollars worth of resources for a correct design in terms of efficiency, panel gaps, just like a car uh, and that sort of thing. So manufacturing on a production line, eventually by the millions, just the, the net result of that has to be you know, high quality if it's done right. I know that Elon Musk apparently lives or lived in a $50,000 home. Is, is that one of yours or is that another, another building? Yeah, so we had an NDA, uh, which, uh, you know, he sort of came out of the boxable closet, I think, recently. <laughs> came out of the boxable. Yeah, came out of the boxable and, uh, you know, confessed that he did, in fact, buy a boxable, he, 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 boxable prototype, actually. He was customer number one. And uh, we, we really had no idea what he was doing with it, but it, it turns out that he, he put it next to his home and he uses it as a, a guest house. And, you know, that's what he's sort of conveyed, conveyed to the public. So he was actually yeah. customer number one. And early days when we had our, just our R&D lab, you know, my, my, my business partner would keep receiving calls from somebody representing Elon Musk, and we just thought it was a joke. <laughs> and... Uh, eventually came to me and said, you know, I think it's real. And so they said, you know, can, can, we, can we buy a few? And so we've only got three prototypes. And so, you know, we said no. And he said, well, can we buy one? And we said, no, can't buy one. And then eventually, you know, 
persuasive guy. We sold him yeah. one. And he did acknowledge it was a prototype. So it's a little bit rough yeah. around the edges, but hopefully he's enjoying it. So back to that price point, how much do you think you can save the average American homeowner? So obviously there's other things to do. Uh, you know, 60,000 US dollars, I don't know what that is in pounds uh, today. Pretty close. <laughs> They're the same these days. <laughs> so uh, you're not going to be able to get anything of that quality at that speed, uh, less, you know, less expensively. It's just, it's just not possible. And the reason it's not possible, it goes, you know, uh, hand in hand with, with the automation and the design, right? So uh, if we're talking about cost, you know, we can talk about a building system that's been rationalized down to the washer, just like any like any consumer product. So we pay attention to those first principles. You know, I'm an industrial designer, mechanical engineer by training. So we look at, you know, the fewest number of unique components, symmetry where it's appropriate, the symmetry that's asymmetrical, so it can't be installed upside down if that's, that's uh, a requirement. If we remove a part, we remove the production process associated with that part. And in fact, the best part is no part at all. (laughs) So we work on massive simplification of the system. That costs tens of millions. And it's an iterative process that we're working through right now. And then, you know, uh, that's just on the product side. Uh, And on the product side, we have... uh, in, in massive and increasing leverage with any suppliers that we get raw materials from, from the steel, the concrete, the insulation materials. You know, they have to sell to us at the best price. So we have the best priced materials. We have the simplest, most rationalized material choices. And it expands like, like rip, ripples on a, on a lake out from there. So, you know, how do we assemble those uh, materials? How many fasteners do we need? How and as we get, as we extend, expand our production line, we, uh, we get very granular, as I mentioned, with it. So how far is a human being moving to pick up one component and put it where it belongs? When those components come in from the truck, where do they go? Do they get put next to the station? Is that the best place for them? So it gets very detailed, but you can only have that with repeatability and uh, becomes a you know, very automotive style process to the point where we are also right now i would say the factory is an analog factory by that i mean that there's not a lot of automation of course we have a lot of tremendous amount of automated equipment but we don't have automated equipment that assembles the boxable itself we still do that with human beings but we don't do that with inefficient high labor you know this one's a plumber this one's a carpenter we have technicians on the field and we may have a technician plugging together an electrical component and another technician hanging a cabinet. Those traditionally would be electricians and plumbers. For us, they're they're technicians, and they're working in a climate-controlled, single-story environment, so it's fast and safe. So there are are efficiencies everywhere you look, and as I mentioned, it is iterative. We keep going, and our goal is to have what's called a lights-out factory, where basically you have no human beings. Of course, nobody's going to turn the lights out, that would be ridiculous and unsafe, but you get, you get the principle. And in terms of labor, we still need a lot of labor. We have a couple of hundred guys here, Annex Factory, we may have five to 7,000 guys, uh, even, fully, even fully automated or, or as automated as we can get it. So you can see all of those things, all of that speed drives the cost down. And that's only possible 
because we have a repeatable component in the factory. One of the big aha moments, and I think catches everybody's imagination when they see a YouTube, is they see this house unfold and fold back up. Pretty crazy to think of something that big actually unfolding. One of the big aha moments early on, if we go back to, you know, find a big problem, do some good, we realized that about two thirds of building construction is empty space. And about a third of it is actually dollar dense. Dollar dense, I mean, with human labor and materials and supplies that are expensive, like staircases, boilers, kitchens, appliances. So we said, you know what? We're not going to pack that down. We're going to build all that out in the factory where it's sufficient. And that's going to be a third of the product. And then we're going to unfold panels to, to get the rest of the volume. And that had a knock-on effect. And that happens a lot if you stay with those first principles in that we solved the shipping problem in terms of being able to get it down the road without flag cars. And unwittingly, we also shipped one truck instead of three for any given volume because it triples in size when it arrives. Uh, when it gets to the site, we have a mechanism that allows the driver to take it off the truck and go on his merry way in about 30 minutes. And we don't even need level ground. We don't need to coordinate with anybody. We don't need a crane. He just unpacks and goes. And on the production line, in terms of knock-on values and effects that ameliorate the product, what goes down the production line for about 80% of the time is only about six foot wide. And that goes down an assembly line and is perfect for robotics as it's going down the production line because it has an op two open sides and they're the largest size. So all of these things play together, work well together. And the net result is, is just a, a, a massive, massive reduction in cost. Excellent. So the next thing that you said, it was about instant availability. How long would the customer expect to wait from the time of order? We moved into this factory behind me about 18 months ago, and it took about eight weeks to make the first one because it was all new materials. Nobody had ever built a home this way before, and it was sort of zero to one. It was sort of universal big bang. Uh, so nobody knew what they were doing. It was a complete mess. It took a couple of months. We made the first one. It was a bit of a mess. And we then completed a government order, and we've slowed down a little bit since then just to fix things. We're currently making one about every, every four hours we can make a home, a complete home, including washer, dryer, everything, painted, absolutely finished. So now as we carry on, as I mentioned before, iteratively getting to the finish line, and the finish line means you know, the high quality, lowest cost, maximum speed, we are investing in new equipment. I think we just spent about 14 or 15 million on new equipment, which these days is, is not a lot for us. And so I believe we will be about 45 minutes to build a home uh, from currently that four hours. And our goal ultimately uh, is to build uh, a home every 60 seconds, which sounds insane until you realize Ford does that with a Ford 150 pickup truck. And I point out that a motor vehicle is much, much more complicated than a boxable home. So our goal is uh, through production first principles and, and, and production on a massive scale is to build a home every 60 seconds. And I believe that we'll have those on Amazon Prime at some point. Nobody needs a house on Amazon Prime. Nobody needs a house next day. But uh, just to make the point, I'm sure we'll, we'll have them on Amazon Prime. So in terms of speed, you know, that's, that's what we're aiming for. And uh, I, you know, I do believe we'll, we'll get there. 
rising. So the three benefits as far as the consumer are concerned, quality, low cost, instant availability, once, once you get up to full speed. What about sustainability? How sustainable are these homes? So sustainability, oftentimes in a practical world, is another word for how much money you're spending, right? So if you're spending a lot of money, you're buying more parts, those more parts have more industry to them, more movement creates more pollution, more people creates more pollution. So if you have the lowest cost uh, and you've rationalized and simplified, you've done the planet a world of good right there. Probably the most amount of good, I would say, in the, the whole sphere of sustainability for the product. And then second to that, you know, we're net zero. Just again, through efficiency, traditional home, stick framed, there's little bits of wood every 24 inches here in the USA anyway, 18 inches, something like that. They're a thermal bridge. It's like a super highway to, 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 to make one side of the wall cold if it's cold on the other side or vice versa, hot if it's hot on the other side. And that's not what you want, right? Typically, if you're in a hot climate, you want to stay cool and vice versa. And we don't have any of those thermal bridging elements. So thermal, I mean, they're really thermal batteries. You know, you, you could liken it to if you want to stay cool inside your home, it's an igloo. And if you want to stay warm, it's a thermos. It's, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing. So right there, it's great. The materials that we use, steel, concrete, insulation are pretty good. But then the sustainability goes way beyond those limitations to things, to, to sustainable features that people can't really imagine uh, with a home, but you can imagine them with boxable. It's not something we really talked about, but the boxable home not only unpacks, but it can repack, right? So when it unpacks, it's built to here in the USA modular code, which is uh, this the highest code standard available. And they unpack, they look completely like regular homes, huge windows, nine and a half foot, very tall ceilings, great clear spans, as I mentioned before. So there's no compromise there, but they will, they will pack back up. So what does that mean in, in a real world? It means you have a forever building construction product. You know, homes are typically the largest investment that folks make, and they're tied to land, real estate, right? That's, it's tied to the land, not with Boxable. So with Boxable, you can pack them down. You know, you don't like your neighbor, you don't like your taxes, you get another job, you can move. Or let's say in the arc of a family's life, they, they can expand their home with more bedrooms. And then if they're empty nesters, I'm talking about 10 or 20 years down the road as the, as the building system develops, um, that, that, that husband and wife, let's say, and kids have flown the coop, can reduce their home by one or two bedrooms, reduce their taxes. Those boxables can go into a secondary market and be resold very cost-effectively. It might be eBay, it might be our own portal, it might be wherever, it doesn't really matter. So the issue of sustainability, if you zoom out, has to focus on all aspects of sort of the birth and life of the product. So we're not focused on sustainability per se, we're focused on efficiency. And we found that that's the best way to be green. Technology, I'd like to kind of understand whether there's a grand plan to integrate things like solar panels, electric charging points. Is that all sort of possible with your system? Yeah, really, really a great question. It's very much on our minds. It's not on our front burner. 
um, I'll give you a couple of examples. I live I'm in a, here in Las Vegas on the Strip, very fancy condo, and I've got you know a tech team here. So I trial every single piece of new technology. I have, I have glass in my home that goes from clear to opaque. You talk to it. Uh, obviously, lights uh, with Philips product is the best one. Automatic locks um, on the lock and unlock. You know, everything, everything. I try everything. And it is an unmitigated disaster. Why? Because none of these products talk to each other. Eventually, you can get them to all talk to each other. So you can walk into the home and just talk to it and say, turn the lights on, lock the door, uh, whatever you, you want to do. But it's so fragile, it constantly breaks. And I have a lot of experience with this. And I presume most human beings don't have a tech team they can call to fix things constantly. So that's the problem, right? That's the problem. And that problem will get fixed just developmentally over the decades. We don't have time for that. And Boxable is in, is in a unique place because we control everything inside of our four walls. Uh, you put building shells together, we control everything. So uh, what we're doing is uh, we're just starting up now with our own coders, uh, software engineers and programmers to create a, a system that just works. You go in and it just works. There's no setup or anything else. Um, so we'll have our, our version of his Siri or ours is a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. We, um, we have a nice video of, uh, and again, another detour here coming. Um, we, we, we have a nice video of the three little pigs huffing and puffing, and eventually the little pigs go to the box ball. And, you know, his name's Frank, and he's the smart, uh, he's the smart piglet. So our mascot is this little three-foot pig called Frank. And so uh, the Boxable product, when you go in, that, that homeowner will be able to say, hey, Frank, make me a cup of coffee, turn the lights down, lock the doors, and it will all work. We'll all, with all due apologies to everybody called Frank around the world. Sounds like we're going to have to put a link to that video with Frank in the show notes, for sure. Now, your business has been growing. Uh, I mean, the acceleration is probably a hell of a lot faster than, than my Tesla Y, actually, which is incredibly fast. Going at this breakneck pace, is there anything you've already gone, oh, gosh, should have done that differently? So we work in parallel. We, we make decisions as a team, and we move very rapidly. That's one of our keys to the successful growth that we've had. Looking back on anything we do different, I would say... So far, not really, nothing, nothing of consequence. I'll also say that nobody can plan for this kind of growth. Nobody can anticipate this kind of demand for our product. We have, I think, over 140,000 unique orders. Some, and some, many of those are for more than one possible casita. And that's billions of dollars of sales that we have to get to very, very quickly, and I would further posit that the casita as a configuration of the smallest boxable will be far less than 1% of our total business. So you can see this potential scale of the enterprise. So we're okay with breaking things. We're okay with making mistakes. And that's part of the culture here. Uh, when new folks come on board with orientation, 
you know, there's only a few rules uh, on the office side anyway. You're, you are allowed to make mistakes, uh, otherwise you're just going to clam up and do nothing. You are allowed to mistakes, make mistakes, but you're not allowed to forget anything. Those are just a couple of the principles we have here. And we do have plans for absolutely humongous scale. And that, that is our biggest challenge going forward. Great. Well, before we get to that point of really understanding that mega vision, 140,000 unique orders, how long do you think it'll be until they're filled? You know, right now, the, the, the factory behind me, it's uh, 300,000 square feet. It's uh, six or seven acres, I think. I'm sure if I'm wrong, someone will correct me. It's really still a prototype factory. You know, we need to create a product is the factory, and then the factory makes you know, the Casita uh, product. So the short answer is it's, it's going to take a few years, but we're putting those resources in place foundationally so that we can scale very, very quickly to meet demand. The demand far exceeds the, 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 the our problem. It's a great problem to have, which is the backlog of Casita products. Yeah. Fast forward two years from now, what do you expect the scale of that factory to be? So our plan for growth, which is all part of the design process, is okay, we start you know, from ground zero with those first principles that spend a little bit of time uh, simplifying and rationalizing the product uh, and rationalizing even the, the building shells from one size to another. They really have no unique components as you grow the different sizes. So that's a pretty good principle. As I mentioned, we have 300,000 square feet here. We're now making plans for 6 million square feet on about 400 acres, just a couple of stops up the line here in North Las Vegas. That will get us to a house every minute. I don't have the total number of homes off the top of my head. That will be the first, as massive as that is, uh, we're sort of tentatively calling it Boxable World, uh, right now, it'll have a whole village, a living village, actually, with people staying and sleeping and living there with their families. It's a sort of a living R&D facility as we get to know our own product better. And then in terms of scale, that will be the first product. That will be the first factory product. And what I mean by that is everything will be documented, you know, everything from the graphics to, to the flow of the factory to sort of Disney-type experience we give the fans that come and visit. And then we will, what we call, print those off. We will replicate those. We will need other regional factories around the country. But once we have one, once we've figured out one, it's easier to replicate than it is to innovate, right? So you don't know when you have to start an invention how long it takes, but you can plan out the replication of something that already works. And then it gets really exciting when we go outside of our national US borders where the plan would be to franchise. So by franchise, if you can imagine McDonald's would be analogous to McDonald's. So McDonald's is essentially, I'm very admiring of McDonald's as a company. They have micro factories all over the planet and they do a lot of good work, you know, in terms of putting food on the table that's uh, very affordably priced. And they have micro factories, if you really think about it. And they provide the franchisee, which I have some 
experience with its cousin, you know, of, of licensee. They provide that franchisee with absolutely everything, the graphics, the equipment, the brand, the mothership, the direction, the meal arrangements, and they provide the raw material and they provide the equipment. So they provide the French fries and they pr provide the fry later, if, if you like. And then furthermore, you know, when you go overseas, if you've been in McDonald's overseas, maybe shamefully I have too many times, and you'll notice that the product that they're putting out is modified. So if you're in Italy, they'll have a little espresso bar. You get fantastic Italian coffee. Don't get that here in the US. You don't get it in the UK. If you're in China or Singapore or Thailand, especially, this, the chicken is spicy. So foreign markets, foreign rules, foreign lifestyle, foreign tastes, foreign architecture. Uh, so our plan to scale beyond our national borders is principally through franchising, not because we can't do it ourselves, but we don't think it's the best way to do it ourselves, that we need those foreign partners. And those foreign partners will be countries, direct relationships with countries. There'll be relationships, obviously, with major corporations as well. But from a time standpoint, it becomes very, very interesting because now it's an administrative situation. Obviously, we need a huge core of engineers to run around and make sure everything's getting done right. But you can see that this, everything accelerates. Everything accelerates. That how long has it taken us to get here? Five years. How long will it get to possible world? Maybe another three, maybe another couple to do a few more because we're you know, repeating those. We have repeatability. And then when we get to the franchising, maybe five years, six years, I'm not sure, we can do those a dozen at a time. So you can see exponential growth uh, to, 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 to feed the market the product that it's requesting. And as the business scales and the costs continue to drive down, I know that people are just not going to believe the price of the product. They're not going to believe the price of the product. So, yeah, hopefully you know, exciting times ahead. Yeah. I mean, that financial model, when I think of the genius of it, it's actually taking probably one of the most expensive products in the world. We might only pay 50000 for our car, but we might pay 100000 for a home or, or 200000 for a home ultimately. Um, but if you can make these in the millions, this could be the first trillion dollar industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is a multi-trillion dollar marketplace. Um, if we don't mess up, as I said, this is one of those companies that we're at the beginning of. You know, choose your poison, whether it's you know Tesla or Google or whatever. And you know, I say that with all due deference. Those are unbelievable companies. There is no ceiling to sales with Boxable. There is, of course, a ceiling, but there's not a visible ceiling. It's irrelevant. It's immaterial uh, in a marketplace that is we are creating which is post-industrial post building construction and creating really the first systemized consumer brand that makes everybody feel smart. You know, if you have an executive going through a toll road, let's say, and they've got an iPhone in their pocket, well, the toll booth is collector who is making much less money than that executive also has typically an iPhone in his pocket or a pixel phone or whatever the heck, right? It's Google. It's not a price thing. It's the best solution. It's the best solution irrespective of price. 
And that's what technology does. Technology, I hate this word, but I use it anyway. Technology democratizes everything. You know, it's not governments that improve our lives. The only thing that improves our lives is technology. And it makes, what we're doing makes building construction right priced, just like an iPhone. You get it, you can afford it. There's nothing else to get. You can get one that's gold encrusted, but you don't really need it. And then the configuration tells the tale of the price point uh, as we get into internal configurations. So we think it's, it's the best of both worlds for everybody and meets our agenda of fixing a big problem. And when you and your team set out, did you ever really envisage just how big the opportunity could be? Never. Never. Nobody would. Nobody would. Uh, we thought, um, so I'll just tell you a, a quick story. I think four years ago, we attended IBS. We were sponsored by Builder Magazine. We still had the R&D lab. It was just 10,000 square feet, just an R&D lab. We were working away. And they said, could you, could you show at this show? And we said, well, we're not ready, but we're not going to miss the opportunity. We showed up with two, uh, we showed up with two uh, 40-foot, uh, box of balls, put them together, made a really nice two-bedroom two, two home. It was gorgeous. And at the end of it, everybody said, oh, wow, this is really nice. You know, what happens now? And we said, you know, what? we don't know. Uh, so my partner and I went away and we said, you know, how, how can we start this business? It's too big. And we said, okay, well, let's configure the smallest one because the smallest one, 20 by 20 box ball, is the easiest one to make. Let's configure it for the backyard ADU market, which over here is the accessory dwelling unit, you know, sort of granny flats to put in, in the back of your home. Very popular in California. They changed the rules to allow those from a code point of view, residential code point of view. We said, you know, maybe we'll make a couple of hundred, see how it goes. And then, you know, the next thing we know, you know, tens of thousands, a hundred plus thousand orders come in and we, we have to react. So, you know, I can, I, I can sit here and tell you I'm really smart and I'm not. You know, we started with our principles uh, as we do with every type of product that I've ever done and just follow that tow rope to get you through, you know, the fog of the day. And as this product develops, we realized that uh, it was just a humongous, humongous thing and that we had to recalibrate. Uh, we had to recalibrate our skills, our plan, and it's an evolving, iterative uh, project that we're doing. So the short answer is absolutely no way, nobody, no, no way in hell, and nobody would, and nobody ever has started a company uh, that got massively big. They started off with a bite-sized piece, and that's how we started off. And I would say that we're not, we're not driving it and saying, let's make it this big. We're not doing that. We're responding to the marketplace and saying, we have an obligation to, to, to raise our horizons and fulfill you know, the potential of, 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 of the building system. And that meets our goals. That meets our goals of doing some good. You know, we're also a public company through crowdfunding. We've raised about 150 million. I think we're probably 
I think we're probably the largest crowdfund in history, short of crypto. Again, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you know, the passion for the product is absolutely crazy. Uh, we're raising now um, a, bil a billion dollars, maybe two. I'm not really at liberty to talk about those details because the SEC will come down and beat me up. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we're making plans to, to scale, to meet, to meet the obligation of, of the opportunity, opportunity that, that we just find ourselves with, you know. Amazing. One final question. Best piece of advice that you've ever been given? To never give up. And I mean, never give up. Never give up. Just uh, when things are tough, you know, whether, whether it's a financial problem, a life problem, a design or engineering problem, more specifically, we don't give up. We just, you know, put our heads to the wall and apply medium pressure and eventually it will give. So never, ever give up. Great, Paolo. Thanks so much for joining us on Racing Green. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. That's all for this episode of Racing Green. Thanks for joining us. Racing Green is produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Chris Bristow, and Georgina McGiven in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative. It was recorded at Serendipity Studios, Camden, North London, with music and sound design by Chris Bristow.